0: this podcast is produced by kpp financial steve peaslee president kpp financial independent thinking shared success and now today's podcast
1: good afternoon fellow investors and
2: welcome
1: to invest talk this is our monday march 30th 2020 edition of invest talk and uh, I thank you all for tuning in today, and as usual, over the past, uh, what, two months now, uh, the coronavirus crisis marches on to affect economies really around the world, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, the short, medium, and long-term effects of what's happening in our economies and our markets. And I think it's very important, especially in times like this, when you have change, you have major change. And don't, <clears throat> don't think that this is a short-term issue that is going to resolve itself in a couple months. Not to say I don't think things are going to get better in a couple months, but this is a seminal event. This is a seminal event in history of the world. Uh, it is, I think, the spark that will make major have major changes take place in all areas, especially the top three will be healthcare. It will probably be political, right? Political upheaval from uh, changes of policy, changes of leadership, changes of priorities within government. You know, think of the home, the Department of Homeland Security it didn't exist before 9-11 and obviously we reacted to that in a very dramatic way and built up this big infrastructure and bureaucracy that is designed to keep us safe from terrorism. Well, everybody's going to start to think about how we can protect ourselves from the next pandemic, right? Uh, because what if the next pandemic is not just a virus, but a virus on the level of, say, an HIV, right? I think we're fortunate in this case where the virus is just something that's very uh, minor for most people, vast majority of people, and doesn't attack the immune system in the same way as HIV, right? And so I think it's going to be top of mind for the world, uh, how to handle this, how to prevent it, how to deal with this in the future, We are not gonna go back to the same world. This world that we saw before this is different than the world that will come out of it. And on top of that, I think we're also going to have, more importantly to you guys, is a seminal change in our financial system. You know, it's always believed that, you know, Keynesian economics, you know, is really about stimulating economic activity, Uh, And central banks were the driving force of that upon every turn, right? And created a layer of debt upon debt upon debt, and that's how you got the economy going, right? If you lowered interest rates, stimulate people to borrow and spend, stimulate the value of asset prices, create the wealth effect, and get people moving again in the economy. Well. We have now seen an event that is no longer driven by borrowing rates at all. There's nothing you can do to combat the virus from a financial aspect. There's nothing you can do to get people to shake the stigma of traveling, going out, uh, etc. People are going to be scarred from this for a long, long time. So, what comes out of this, I think, will be a very, very productive change for our society. And I'm excited for that. But with change comes a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty, and markets don't tend to like that. Okay? So we're going to be covering this, you know, for the next, I think this is going to be a three, five, maybe seven to ten year time period that will change the way we all live. Um, there's a great book. I think everyone should read it. It's called The Fourth Turning. It was actually written in the 90s. Uh, and it talks about generational shifts and changes. And, you know, the last time we had this, this change and shift in how the world works was post-World War II, right? The Western world, liberal ideology, and, that was what brought us out of World War II and kind of dominated the ideology of the world. Well, what's going to come next over the next, you know, say half dozen to a dozen years or so is going to be a new change in how we think about probably healthcare, finances, politics. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a great thing. So I think there's a lot to be excited about, to be optimistic about. But you also have to be honest with yourself about the current system that we're in and how that's going to evolve into the next system and what areas are going to be hurt and others that may come out the other end in a much stronger position. Okay, so Stay tuned for all that we're going to cover over over the next years. You know, this is really going to be a multi-year process, and there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, like I said, and hopefully we can bring you along and give you the unbiased guidance and the simple facts that's the way we see it. So I'm Justin Klein. And I hope you will call me in this hour to discuss whatever is on your mind. And your calls into our radio program and podcast help you become a better investor, help everyone become a better investor, and that's our goal. Now, one way Steve and I are able to do this is by implementing a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. You know, the Bloomberg and CNBCs of the world, they're going to want the status quo, and I don't care about this whether the status quo stays or not. I care about what's actually going to happen. It's not about hope. It's about having a plan. Hope is not a plan. So that's what we are here to do is to try to help you develop that plan, whatever that is for you. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody else. And we only recommend these things because these are the strategies and perspectives that we implement for ourselves. We call that parallel investing. And now that I've set things up, I'm here and ready to answer your investing and finance questions. Our anytime this line is open, once again. So I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Eighty-eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Now, quick news on Steve's portfolio reviews in the upcoming month of April. He has canceled his Houston and Chicago trips basically in line with the recommendation from the White House uh, and government to avoid traveling, right? Travel advisory to avoid traveling of uh, spreading it. And Steve is, you know, he's, In his 60s, so it's probably better for him him not to. I think I'm going to still do our San Jose trip in the month of May. So look out for those dates. Um, And then I believe Steve will be probably, his next trip will be in June in Washington, D.C. and New York City. Hopefully New York City's calmed down a little bit by then, but we will see. But that's kind of uh, our schedule. If you want to learn more, you can check it out at BestTalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns the Fed's balance sheet just passed $5 trillion for the first time, and they're increasingly buying up treasuries and other assets in the effort to create liquidity in the market and try to avoid what we had just a few weeks ago, probably two weeks, three weeks ago now, where there was forced selling. There was funds that were... They were having margin calls, and they were losing values quickly, and that's really what drove down the market with indiscriminate selling. Now, does that mean the selling's over? Well, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to, we're going to discuss that topic as well as a few more. Moody's has come out and cut a bunch of ratings for U.S. corporate debt from stable to negative, so they haven't downgraded a lot, of, uh, <clears throat> a lot of names, but they put them on watch, so we're going to learn about that. Also, is it too late to de-risk your portfolio? I think a lot of people were caught, what I consider, offside, right? Too much risk in their portfolio, not understanding the level of risk that they were taking and the types of companies that they were holding, the balance sheets, et cetera. So is it too late to de-risk your portfolio? We're going to talk about kind of a roadmap for the market. And then also, I want to talk about... Mohamed El-Ariana, I think he's one of my favorite commentators in the market, and we're going to discuss his takes and which ones I agree with, which ones maybe I don't. So you're listening to Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and let me take a moment to update our regular listeners about our current technical audio issues. In simple terms, our high-fidelity internet studio connection went down. We've worked on it this morning, and we think we're right there. We didn't fix it yet, so you're not hearing that high-quality audio right now, but I think we should have a fix tomorrow morning, so stay with us. And in the meantime, Steve and I continue to call into the studio using our smartphone. So I realize it doesn't sound as great as we usually do, but please bear with us. With that said, I'm still here. I'm on duty. I'm ready to take your investment and finance questions now at eight eight nine nine 99 chart
2: With the recent events surrounding the coronavirus, now more than ever people are staying at home and getting away from their exercise routine. Gyms are closing, people are stuck inside, and tightness and stiffness are afflicting us all. This is the perfect time to focus on personal health and wellness, which is an industry on the rise. Recently, I have discovered this great product to reduce my pain and stiffness caused by sitting too long at my desk doing research. The product has 13 all-natural ingredients and is sold in hundreds of doctors' offices, pharmacies, retail chains, gyms, and spas throughout the country. This muscle rub, made by Quanta, a publicly traded applied science company, has patented technology proven to supercharge key ingredients and make them perform five times more effectively within the human body. It is optimized to drastically reduce both pain and inflammation naturally. I know this sounds too good to be true, but they have the white paper to prove it. I use their various health and wellness products every day for a host of different benefits. Additionally, for a limited time, listeners of InvestDoc can receive promotional discount pricing at buyquanta.com. Use the promo code INVEST to save 20% on your first order. In fact, Quanta is so confident you'll be pleased with their products, they actually offer a money-back guarantee if you aren't satisfied with the results. Again, simply use the code INVEST to save 20% at buyquanta.com. B U Y Q U A N T A.com.
3: It's Monday, and we've all been watching market volatility, so you'll have important finance and investment questions. You're in luck. Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin. 99 chart. Hello, I have a question about the Roth IRA. I'm thirty nine years old. I invested my Roth IRA in the Vanguard Target Fund Target Date Fund two thousand forty five, which is ninety ten, ninety stocks and ten bonds. I wanna know what do you think about that? Is it a good a good investment in uh, by choosing the target date fund, or I need to choose something else. Thank you so much.
1: Well, this is actually a very good time to talk about target data funds because I'm sure a lot of people have these options within their 401k, uh, and a lot of them utilize, a lot of people just use them in their IRA, like uh, this gentleman does. But you can see the price decline in something like this uh, something of a 2045 target date. Target date is going to have a 25-year time horizon. You're talking about heavy allocation to equities, and this this fell pretty dramatically from looking at VTIVX, which is the symbol on this. Fell from a high of about 25.50 or so before the market dropped and fell all the way to 17.50. So you're talking about 30 It was pretty much in line with the overall market right? because it's uh, 53%. U.S. equities, 35% non-U.S. equities, only 10% fixed income, so very heavily in equities. And so anything with a 15, 20-plus year time horizon on a targeted fund is going to vary heavily in equity. And if you're okay with that, you are okay with that volatility, you don't want to do a lot of research, you're just kind of a set-it-and-forget-it type of guy. All right, that's fine. Vanguard, you're going to be indexing. I hate. I think the indexing bubble is popping. You know, I think people are really going to be not very thrilled with the returns of indexes over the next next uh, five to seven years compared to uh, more active management. You know, these things go in waves and cycles where indexing works better, and now I think we've started that phase where active is going to work much much better. So, but if you want to go with the active phase, you are active. Mentality, sorry, an active, passive investments, excuse me, and not have to do a lot of research, rebalancing of your portfolio, et cetera, then this is something that would work for you. But if you're looking for above average returns and you want maybe lower volatility, lower risk, then you're going to look for something that's more active. So it depends on your philosophy, your approach to it. Uh, this is a fine passive simple way to invest and it's not going to be great it probably won't be horrible unless you know the market goes 80 we go into depression market goes down 80 percent. that's certainly possible but um you know i just don't love it because i don't love that philosophy you're hey, listening to invest stock i'm justin klein and no one has ever been able to really predict market moves and volatility can hit any time we just saw that so if you want to set up a portfolio review with myself or steve you can do that Via FaceTime or Skype is a great way we can do it. We can do a Zoom call uh, or just a phone call. So these are no obligation portfolio views, and you can find out more at investtalk.com. But give me a call now at 888 99
2: chart.
3: Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com.
1: 8899 chart, eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. That's how you get through and ask your question live on today's show. Or if you're listening after hours, you can always leave a message and we will answer it on the next show. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story the Fed balance sheet just passed $5 trillion the first time. And the central bank is greatly increasing the amount of treasuries and other assets, including mortgage-backed securities, and now corporate bonds for the first time. In fact, they're buying ETFs. And I think they eventually, one day uh, down the line, will probably get into buying equities as well. Uh, But this is an effort to keep markets and economies afloat during this, what El El Arian would call, is a sudden stop, right, where it's an exogenous uh, shock that came out of nowhere. And to combat this, they have now increased their balance sheet to $5.3 trillion, north of that, which was as of Wednesday. So we're talking Monday now. And that's well above the peak, which was 5, $4.52 trillion back in 2016. So just over the past week, they've increased their balance sheet by 12.4%. In one week, they bought $255 billion in treasury securities, $19 billion in mortgage-backed securities, and they're going to start buying corporate bonds as well. They've increased uh, currency swaps. So remember the, the repo market? Well, swap is kind of like uh, where you can exchange other assets for dollars, right? Mainly in a currency swap would be another asset so that you can gain exposure, where you know, foreign, so say Euros. In Europe, you have the ECB. They can print euros, but they can't print dollars. Well, the Fed is doing a swap. Where they say, okay, you give me euros, we'll give you dollars for a short period of time. There's that swap, right? So that gives liquidity, dollar liquidity around the world, and there's a lot of demand for dollars because there's a lot of dollars denom- to debt, right? In order to make debt payments in dollars, you need dollars. And that's one of the big reasons why a strong dollar is a headwind for the economy because it becomes, the global economy at least, it becomes a lot harder to service those dollar-denominated debts in foreign countries when you can't print dollars. Only the Fed can print dollars, right, which they've been doing at a very fast rate over the past couple of weeks. Now, they've pivoted to unlimited QE, And they're likely to double the size of their balance sheet over the balance of the year. And originally they had a limit on it, but they said a limited QE. Now Wall Street is expecting balance sheets to hit over $10 trillion this year. And that that, that growth does not look like it's going to slow down probably anytime soon. Always the big worry is, okay, this is going to cause inflation. And I think that's certainly a a, a possibility, but I don't think it's the likely outcome. But that doesn't mean that gold is not a great asset, because gold typically rises based on real interest rates. And when interest rates are pegged at zero, basically, any level of inflation makes gold attractive, because the real rates are negative. But this is an environment where gold is, I think, ready to rocket ship higher. It's just a matter of, I think, time. I um, mean, you've seen the stability in gold. You had a little sell-off a couple weeks ago because Russia needed some liquidity because they're in a fight with Saudi Arabia with market share, and been, they've been buying a lot of gold lately. Over the past 10 years or so, they've been stockpiling gold and they need a little bit more dollar liquidity, and so they they sold off some of their gold for that, as well as a lot of portfolios had some gold positions that they had to sell because the other parts of their portfolio were really getting decimated, right? Margin calls. And so gold had a hit for that. But it's definitely a time where... It's time to shine for gold, pun intended, right? It's the perfect environment. You have economic uncertainty. You have central bank money printing, mainly out of the Federal Reserve, to assist the global economy. And that is why you are seeing that consistent bid. It hasn't really broken out yet, but I think it's only really a matter of time. Now let's keep on moving here. The best way to do that was a fresh-collar question that came in earlier at 88.99 99 chart Oh, hi. I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on buying stock in American Express. My thought process is that the company typically has uh, clients that have high credit scores, and during this uh, market right now, the clients holding American Express credit cards usually be able to pay back their incurring debt or even continue spending money. So I just wanted to know what you thought about that. Well, I I would agree with you in the sense that it should – Perform better than most other credit card companies because of its clientele level. Uh, and you can see that in 2007, 2008, it had it still stayed relatively buoyant. Uh, it outperformed most other credit card companies, but they've also been become a little bit riskier in their lending. Uh, and we're a little too early in the cycle. Uh, so I think eventually American Express is a great buy, but I think you're still 12, 18 months away from that. Take the call. There's Invest Talk streaming live Monday through Friday in the 4 o'clock time hour, and you can also download our free condensed podcast over at investtalk.com.
3: Numbers are elusive.
1: I bought this stock last year at about $6.75.
3: They're always changing. I got them at $3.99 and it took a major hit. First up, then down, then up again, or maybe sideways. What would be a good entry point? On Invest Talk, the focus is on numbers that affect our listeners and their portfolios. Carl in Ohio, he
2: wants to talk about his 401k.
1: Hi Justin, uh,
2: long-time listener of the show, I absolutely love it. Let's go to Dave and San Leandro.
3: You've got to be prepared for volatility.
2: I want to
1: know what you think for someone like me. And
3: they know it. I'm
1: 31 years old.
3: So the question Questions keep coming.
1: Should I dollar cost
3: average that? 24 seven.
1: How much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds?
3: From every part of America. Hey, Steve and Justin, my name's Josh calling from Buffalo, New York. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein analyze the complex patterns in those numbers and do their very best to decipher the potential meanings. Thanks for everything you guys do. And here's one number that keeps rising more than twenty million Invest Talk podcast downloads. And for that, Steve and Justin thanked their loyal listeners.
1: I find you guys to be pretty much entirely trustworthy. So I'm curious, how do you do that?
2: Independent thinking, shared success. It's all about the numbers.
3: Investtalk.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you start making now in 2020 justin klein is here ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance and the phone lines are open 888-99-CHART 8899-CHART
1: 8899-4278 we have about 20 minutes or so left in the show, so give us a call sooner rather than later. Let's touch on the corporate bond market because you know we've been saying this for a couple of years that if there is an area of the credit markets, you know, credit markets are broad. It's not just one thing. It's various areas. You're talking munis. You're talking corporate. You're talking government bonds, not just U.S., but foreign government bonds, Uh, You're talking about uh, mortgage-backed securities, so many different little nooks and crannies of the credit market. And back in 08, the credit market misallocation of capital was really focused in real estate. We know that for various reasons. But now, the misallocation of capital, for the most part, is in the corporate bond market. Um, Now, does that mean every corporate bond is bad? No, it doesn't. But, in aggregate, you're getting, if you're buying into, say, a a mutual fund or an ETF that owns corporate bonds, you're going to get a lot of the bad corporate bonds. Because there's so much money, they uh, they need to kind of get a wide swath of securities for diversification purposes. But that also means that you're lumping in the good with the bad. That's why we kind of like individual corporate bonds more than the, the bond funds. But, we know that the corporate bond market has ballooned from about $2 trillion in 2007 to about $7 trillion today. In fact, the non-financial I'm non sorry, non-financial corporate debt pulled $6.6 trillion at the end of last year. That's up 78% since the financial crisis. So it just shows you that it's not the banks that have been levering us. It's not like, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America of the World have been issuing a ton of debt now. They've had a lot of help from Federal Reserve and uh, the systems that they set up to recapitalize the bank kind of in a stealth, consistent way, but that's another topic. Non-financial corporate debt totaled about $6.6 6 trillion since, uh, at the end of 2019, like I said, up 78%. Now, Moody's just downgraded the whole area of corporate debt in general. And basically what they're saying, and... You know, they're always late to the game. The credit rating agencies are always late to the game. Now, in this case, it's hard to blame them. I think everybody was kind of uh, caught off guard a little bit, right, to the severity and quickness of this downtrend. But they're warning that sectors most sensitive to consumer demand and sentiment will be hit hardest because of social distancing measures and obviously shutting down of businesses, passenger airlines, lodging, cruise industry, autos, these are all areas that are certainly going to be hit. So they've revised down their growth for 2020 for the economy, not something that should surprise anybody. And you know, they talk about the Fed coming in and buying assets, which will help, but the heavily indebted sectors will be still very vulnerable to bankruptcies. No matter how much the Fed goes in and buys secondary market securities, if investors are not willing to step up and roll those securities, right, and roll that debt, bankruptcies are inevitable. And Fed's purchases are going to be limited to an investment-grade corporate, and what about junk, for example? Goldman Sachs estimates that $765 billion worth of investment and high-yield bonds will experience downgrade ratings this year. Mm-hmm. So not a shock and something that will be, should be continued to watch because this will be kind of the canary in the coal mine. Now, as you probably noticed, Steve and I do our very best to send as many caller questions as possible. So let's do that now. It came in earlier at our anytime listener line at 8 at 899 chart.
3: Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Matt in Chicago calling. Wanted to get your opinion on two stocks that I think could stand to benefit once, one and if we recover from this corona
1: issue we're going through. The first one is Bookings Holdings, BKNG, and the second is Expedia Inc., E-X-P-E. Wanted to see if, if you like these or if there was a good time to get in here coming up. Listen to hear your answer on the show. Thanks. Uh, great question. I like both companies, Expedia and Booking, uh, but... The problem is that this is, this is a start, right? Uh, booking is definitely the bigger company, $53 billion market cap, very little debt, versus Expedia would be $7 billion market cap, uh, a few billion dollars in debt. So the safer play is absolutely booking. Uh, it's bigger, more revenue diversity, far less debt, but much better balance sheet, right? and this is uh, something that I would would be buying eventually. I like booking as a business. I think it's a great, great business. should be on everybody's watch list. But, once again, this is going to be with us a while. Don't think that this is a two or three month process and the world is going to go back to normal and everything going to be the way before. It is not in any shape or form. So, to account for that, do you think baby at this level to be in, in that cruises? think they're on frequency as they did before? Staying yeah. at hotels, renting cars, all of these things? Ah, uh, no, not to say 100% of them will be sitting at home, but most who are older have underlying health conditions they're going to be a lot more cautious about their travels, not to mention the underlying economic contraction that is going to continue to take place for many, many months. And therefore, this is a perfect example of two companies with good balance sheets, solid balance sheets, but in very cyclical areas of the economy, And the economy, part of the economy that's going to be directly hit by just the uniqueness of this pandemic. So both fine companies to have on your balance sheet, but this, we're in inning probably two of this bear market. And once again, it's about pivoting to companies with very little debt, no debt, and non-cyclical businesses. This is the best talk I understand that Many of you might feel the urgent need to get your portfolio in shape, right? You just probably have a little PTSD. I'm getting a lot of callers. You know, they, they, they don't know what to do. They were caught off They had too much equity in their portfolio. Now we're getting a bounce back. Now what do you do? Well, guess what? You should be selling into this rattle. Okay, but how do you pivot? So how, how do you take advantage of the opportunities that still are out there? So you're not learning this. And Invest Talk and KPP Financial, we want to help you reach your goal of financial freedom. So feel free to contact myself or Steve Peasley anytime at our Irvine, California offices. And now I'm taking your finance and investment questions live at 888 99 chart.
3: You are listening to Invest Talk. We have an important schedule change to announce. Due to the coronavirus, Steve Peasley has canceled his April trips to Houston and Chicago. However, Steve is making appointments for his no-cost and no-obligation portfolio reviews via telephone consultation or two-way video Skype consultation. So you can reach out to Steve Peasley or Justin Klein now through investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi. This is a long-time listener from Minnesota. Love the show. Thank you guys for everything you do. I have a question on a stock I've been watching and wondering if this would be a good time to buy it and what you think of it. The stock is MLM. Martin Marietta, I believe. It's a company, I believe, in industrials and road surfacing and stuff like that. I figured it would be a good stock through these Tough times we're having because you always need highways and so forth. The price seems to be very good right now. The P is low, and so is the P/E G. Doesn't pay much of a dividend, but I think the debt ratio is pretty good. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion and thoughts on this stock. If this would be something worth buying and holding on to,
1: thank you. All right, looking at Martin Marietta Materials, and from the description, it looks like they're one of the largest producers of construction aggregates crushed stone, sand, and gravel. You know, I'm conflicted on this a little bit, and yes, you're going to need gravel. But when it comes to construction aggregates, construction is probably going through decline, especially in the commercial space. Right? So I'm sh- I would like to see the diversity of their sales. Is it expand? How much does it expand into the building space versus just the sand and gravel space? And I would probably go back and use 2008, nine as a proxy for that. they cash operations was, peaked out in 2008 or 2008 for about $423 million. And it fell in the year of the financial crisis to about $200 million. So their cash from operations was cut in half. And my question is, how much of their business has pivoted since that time? Now we're at close to a billion dollars in cash from operations in the trailing cold months. So their business has expanded pretty dramatically since then, and what is the driver of that? Now they do have about 2.7 billion dollars in their uh, debt on the balance sheet, 11 billion dollar market cap, 4.7 billion in sales trailing 12 months, and positive free cash flow last quarter of about 200 million dollars. And I like that. I like. I think their balance sheet is pretty solid uh, based on those aggregate numbers. Uh, and. It's been a solid performer from a profit standpoint. Return kind of equity is not amazing, but high single digits, low teens. Turn invested capital, kind of mid single digits, mid to high single digits. It's okay, it's not fantastic. Uh, they've been issuing more shares over the past decade, which I don't like that and diluting shareholders. But you know, I give it kind of an okay. Uh, I'd have to read a little bit more. I don't know too much about this business, but. Definitely construction activity is going to hurt this business, and therefore, it's to me not at a level yet where it's a bargain to go buy it. Okay. Um, I would need something probably around the, look at the chart here. I would not buy this until 150. 150 is probably that area. Now I guess we're 179, so not too far off. Uh, That's the first level, 150 But still, I don't love the fact that this is a business that shrank dramatically in the last financial crisis and will likely do that again. But the balance sheet is pretty solid. Now, the coronavirus situation is just about everyone spinning their wheels as they grapple with handling their portfolio, how to rebalance it. And naturally this brings questions to mind. So let's get our voice bank question in again at 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Mark from San Diego. Great show. Marathon, petroleum, M as in mark, P as in professional, C as in corporation. Have a small position. Of course, this is right before the massive downturn of the market. So long-term, hang or let it go. And as a side note, the uh, Costco guy told me that the run on the water at Costco is because little tiny shops were buying them to resell them at a higher price. Great show. Catch you on the broadcast. Thank you. Uh, marathon Petroleum, MPC, clearly they're struggling in and of oil now in the teens for a barrel of oil. $15 billion market cap, and they have a lot of debt in their balance, $28 billion of debt. Uh, it's not, yeah, I, I, I would let it go. Uh, if, uh, we're dabbling in the oil space, and we're sticking with the big guys. And, and the marathon is big-ish. They're big-ish, $31 billion in sales last quarter. So definitely not small, but definitely wouldn't be one of the, my favorite names in the industry. Let's just say that. Uh, so, you know, better than a lot of those tiny shale plays with that layer on a lot of debt, uh, Marathon's going to be a lot more diversified. Uh, but that dividend is likely going to be cut to sustain its debt level. Uh, And oil is likely to be depressed for a little while now. Now, three, five years down the line, I think as long as they can stay in business, they can work through this. I think they'll be fine. Um, But if I'm looking to buy a name, definitely Marathon is probably in the middle of that list, not at the top of it. Let's touch quickly on what it means to de-risk your portfolio. And should you do risk your portfolio? You know, like I said before last break that it's a lot of people been caught off sides. And I get a lot of callers trying to figure out how to reposition their portfolio in a time where uncertainty is high. You have to focus on balance sheets and different things than you have for the last decade in order to find opportunities and to avoid the landmines. Cause that's really what we're in right now where it's, Avoiding landmines—that's what's happened here, and you need to be more erring on the side of avoiding landmines than trying to hit grand slams. Okay. So after the break, we're going to talk about that: how you should think about de-risking your portfolio, and if you should. This is Best Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: each and every weekday, and that's help you to achieve your own version of financial freedom. Our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 99 Chart.
3: On the next Invest Talk, one analyst's opinion says several indicators suggest a stock market bottom. Could he be right? That story tomorrow. But now, Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey,
1: Steve or Justin, thanks for taking my question, which is, I'm dollar-cost averaging every month into my brokerage account and into my Roth IRA, and I'm doing this on the first of every month. I'm just curious if there's a better day during the month to actually get in, or if that doesn't make a difference at all. Thanks for answering my question. Love the show and take care. No, I wouldn't say there's a a big difference. Now, there are some dynamics uh, around quarter end when it comes to rebalancing for big institutions, especially pension funds, right? So that's something to definitely consider, like right now, for example you're getting quarter end rebalancing where equities did poorly for the quarter, bonds did great, and typically I mean corporate bonds. And in order to maintain an allocation percentage, right, you have to sell bonds and buy equities. And so that's why today and probably tomorrow as well, we're likely to be get a consistent bid in the marketplace for equities, and so those dynamics can certainly play out. But there's nothing that says, okay, it's the first of the month, or the fifth of the month, or the twelfth of the month that says this is when you should do your consistent dollar cost averaging. To me, it's just when you have the money. The sooner the statistics say, the sooner you get the money in, the better return you're going to have, right? Because the tendency is for the market to go up. Now, as we can see lately, that's not the case. <laughs> it's not the case that it always goes up. It does go down, and this is a time that you want to be dollar-cost averaging, or dollar-cost averaging works best, right, because you're going to get more shares as prices fall. So I don't have a sort of day that you want to do it, but it is important to understand the dynamics that are out there in the marketplace. Now, I want to quickly touch before we close once again on on kind of de-risking your portfolio and is it too late? The first thing you have to consider is how soon do you need the money or how soon are you going to retire? I've had a few callers over the past or a few, uh, yeah, callers, I guess. They aren't clients yet. Call and just talk about that and try to figure out, you know, should I sell? When should I sell? And a lot of them are getting hope, right? We're in this phase now. We were in the everything bubble before this. And now we're in the hope phase where everyone is just hopeful we're going to get back to normal. Not going to happen, people. We're not getting back to the highs, I mean, for many years, many, many years. The level of those funds that we're leveraging up in order to execute our risk parity funds, private equity, hedge funds, et cetera, they, some of them blew up. And a lot of them are not going to come back with the same type of strategy because it's a different market, right? The Fed put is gone. You have an exogenous shock that wasn't in their models, and now they have to account for that. On top of that, you have an economy that is rapidly decelerating, and even if you get back to a semblance of normalcy, will still be shrinking year over year. So, utilize this rally to de-risk your portfolio. Now, how aggressively you should de-risk your portfolio, it's really up to you, your risk tolerance, your time horizon. You know, If it's less than 10 years, probably less than 12 years, you probably want to be on the side of more de-risking. And de-risking can take different forms. It doesn't mean selling stocks and go to cash. It can mean selling your riskier stocks with high valuations or lots of debt in the balance sheet for companies that don't have a lot of debt. That aren't cyclical. That's a way to de risk as well. You're still in equities, but it's lowering your overall risk tolerance or your risk the risk you're taking, right? You're not investing in the Facebooks of the world, which are gonna be inherently volatile. You could also invest in certain bonds. Still taking some risk, focused on the income. But much lower risk than overall equity exposure. So, de-risking can take many forms, and most likely, this is an opportunity. This little rally here to do that for you and your portfolio. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. I will return on Thursday. TPZ will host the program tomorrow. Please remember that you can tell your friends about Invest Talk, and you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And be sure to listen, rate, and review.